Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're going to learn about the secrets of sustaining a news series. Seven years ago, the BBC launched a series called CEO Secrets, posting short, informal tips and advice from business icons, a pep talk with top professionals, as it has also been dubbed. What was initially a side offering created for social media has now become a popular staple video series, and later this month, a book compiling the series' best takeaways and tips will also be published. The mastermind behind the series is BBC News Senior Video Innovation Editor, Google Shaw, who creates the videos using just his mobile phone, handy for quick, simple and down-to-earth content. We will talk today about the mindset that journalists need to create powerful video series, as opposed to one-and-done feature stories, and how to keep these long-running ideas fresh. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Dougal, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Pleasure. Uh, a little known fact about you, Dougal, is that you are a senior video innovation journalist. Well, that much is probably not little known, but the little known fact part of that is that it was a, a, a role uh, created for yourself in 2015 as a first for the BBC, right? Yeah, well, I started to apply for it. It wasn't sort of created just for me, but it's a rare example of a new role being created because, you know, in, ge- in general, the last... 10 years has been more about sort of cuts and roles going away but because it's about video innovation and trying new formats for social media it's seen as an area that you know it's a growth area that BBC needs to be concentrating on. Mm. So what does a senior video innovation journalist do? I think the main idea of the job is to pilot different video formats that are going to you know help BBC News reach more audiences in different places. So actually, when I applied for the job, when it was created back in 2015, I really wanted to get it because the previous role I was in was was closing down at the BBC. So I was kind of in a bit of a desperate situation. I got right, this is a really high stakes job interview. So I spent ages and ages preparing for it. And I thought one thing I'm good at is actually coming up with original ideas. So I brainstormed just two or three ideas for a series that I could go into the interview and say, if you give me the job day one, this is what I really want to do. And I think in an interview, you've really got to convey your passion and your enthusiasm as much as your skill and experience. So the idea, I had two ideas. One was CEO secrets, which we can talk about in a bit. And the other one actually was that I'm equally passionate about is one called My Shop which was profiling independent quirky shops and doing little videos about them. The interview went pretty well. And then I got to the end and I was expecting the usual question you get, which is, do you have any ideas that you would like to make and, or something like that? And I, that didn't really come up in the interview. But it was the bit when they say, have you got any questions? I just said, well, it's not a question, but if I got the job, these are the things that I'm bursting to do day one. And I said, the my shop idea, which actually I was more passionate about. And then I said as well, and I've got this other idea, CEO Secrets, the idea is you've got all these amazing CEOs, household name CEOs coming into the, the BBC business unit, as it was known then, and this amazing access to human capital coming in the building all the time to do these live TV interviews on the news channel and BBC World. So with that kind of resource in your doorstep, can we use that to make something for social media a bit different? We could just grab them while they're here anyway, and I'll make this series where we get them to share some advice. A big trend at the time was news you can use, useful use so it was an advice series about business with access to these big ceos and we just i got the job i must have impressed them somehow and um like within a week we just we just started doing it 
there's a good piece of advice in there somewhere about not letting the opportunity slip to show them the ideas that you have, even if it doesn't necessarily come up in a question. Make sure you're showcasing the ideas that you have. Um, as, as a more general question, just before we dig into CEO secrets quite specifically, you say you're quite good at coming up with original ideas. Do you have a particular workflow or thought process that works for you to conjure up these ideas? The worst place for ideas to start on the other end of the scale is like in an, a brainstorming meeting when you, sometimes at big organizations you have a meeting where it's about nothing but discussing ideas. Personally, I don't like that. The best ideas are quite personal things. And the best thing is to just like go for a walk or put yourself out of your normal work context. It has to come from a genuine passion. You've got to be a curious person who's thinking about these things anyway and mulling these things over. Sometimes it's good to set aside time to do it specifically, but other times I think the best ideas are just brewing away at the back of your head and you just have to give them time to percolate out. So, so doing quite a different activity that isn't work actually helps. Having said that I don't like ideas for meetings, I think in terms of generating ideas, I don't find meetings useful, but then getting feedback on your idea from other people is very important. And there's been lots of times, and, in, and especially actually with CEO Secrets, where the idea has definitely been improved by chatting it through with other people, getting feedback on early versions of it, really listening to a wide variety of opinions. I find that very useful. But the original idea usually just comes from mulling things myself. Let's apply that for a second to CEO Secrets then. Was there a moment where that was percolating in the background, as you say, and then there was kind of an opportunity here to put two and two together and say, well, listen, while we've got these people in the building, let's um, let's do this, this side offering on social media. Was that the case for CEO Secrets? I think for that one, um, that one is more kind of stimulated by the environment because I was sitting in the BBC business unit and you, it was just part of your day-to-day -day existence. You would see people like Sir James Dyson, who ended up being the first guest on the series, just walking down the corridor, chatting away to his assistant after he'd, he'd been in a TV studio. Um, actually, I wasn't used to that because I just joined the business unit at that time. But you kind of get to think, that's a bit weird how that's just happening. But you have access to that person. And if I was just to grab him, what would I ask just on a human level? Never mind, you know, you've come in to do a, a researched interview. Um, and also just looking at the kind of output we had in business and a lot of the interviews were obviously business interviews they're about the latest financials about the quarterly reports and my personal interest I'm personally a bit less interested in economics and those kind of things because I, I hadn't been in the business unit before I hadn't had a track record as a business journalist I was more interested in the human angle and and uh, and finding some something different so that's why that appealed to me mm. with the other idea just to go back to the my shop one sometimes you can have a good idea by thinking about someone else's idea what you like about it and how could you make your own version of it that's definitely different and distinctive and i remember with my shop i was thinking at the time that humans of new york the series yeah was very big on facebook where the person just would do these portraits of random people in america that they found on the street and just and the premise was that anybody's interesting if you speak to them for a little bit and find out about their life story and i kind of thought well the same is true of independent shops if you stop and speak to any shopkeeper there's usually a very interesting personal story behind why they set up the shop, what it means to them, kind of risk and jeopardy. So you just have to tease it out a bit. The two key things are, one, to just make it. You only learn how to improve the idea by actually getting your hands dirty, making it, learn what the pitfalls are, what the problems are, what people don't like about it, what the audience thinks about it. So just get some kind of pilot versions out there and, and also listen to your colleagues. 
Over the years, the series started to look beyond the household CEOs and corporate big shots and switch things up by featuring smaller startup founders. This was a way to keep the series fresh and inclusive. But whoever is in front of the camera, the series tries to show the human side to business professionals. Let's listen to a recent CEO series clip featuring Sarah Willingham, a former investor on the show Dragon's Den and the CEO of the bar group Nightcap. Sarah talks about an early experience of sexism in her career and her grapples with imposter syndrome. It provides an empowering piece of advice and a rare moment of vulnerability. So in my mid-twenties, I was running acquisitions for Pizza Express and walked into a meeting room. I was two minutes late for the meeting. And the person on the opposite side of the table, the lawyer, looked up and said, oh, thank goodness for that. Mine's uh, white with one sugar, please. So I thought, okay, this is a moment. Walked round to the coffee, made him his coffee, put the coffee in front of him and said, would anybody else like a coffee? And um, nobody said anything, nobody wanted one. I made myself a coffee and then sat back down again opposite him. And as he looked up, I watched the colour drain from his face as he realised this enormous assumption that he'd made. And it was such a beautiful moment in my career, really empowering, when I sat there and realised that actually this moment where I'd had imposter syndrome anyway running a meeting like this, but I'd been completely misjudged by the people on the opposite side of the table was actually this incredible superpower. Because guess who walked out with the deal? It's a bit of a gut feeling deciding which ones work. It could be quite you know, a boring company in terms of what they do. They could be a software company, but the person might have such an amazing personal story behind why they set it up or something, or a piece, uh, such an amazing bit of advice to share that, we, that I think or the team think is good that we'll have them on. Or sometimes we did do people because we just thought the field of business they work in was particularly interesting. For example, like influencers on social media, it was, it's quite a growing trend in advertising. So it was quite good to do a few, a few CO Secrets episodes about that field. So that's definitely evolved over time. And the other thing that's changed is that it's kind of flipped on its head. When we do the big name CEOs, I'd have maybe like 10 minutes with them and I would just grab them after they'd done their main BBC News interview in the studio. Uh, Clive Schley, in, I think it was 2016, we did him. He was CEO of Pret-a-Manger. He'd come in to do his interview about whatever the big uh, you know, topics of the day were for him. Then I literally had, I think, about less than 10 minutes with him before he was being whisked off somewhere else. But that was the early days of the series. Now the series has grown in reputation. A lot of people have heard about it and they want to just come in to do just the CEO secrets. So if it's a big name CEO, the format is a bit different now. I will usually interview them for about 20 minutes beforehand in like this in, in good audio radio quality and I'll learn a bit more about them and their kind of background and uh, business journey because I'm trying to tease out what the most interesting secret from them and, and advice would be but also it's a chance to ask them any questions that are maybe relevant to them to their company that are in the news we did the boss of EasyJet recently he does quite a lot of BBC news interviews anyway but it was a chance to ask about the latest COVID restrictions and things like that while we had access to him. And then we would also do the CEO secrets. As the series has, got, has grown in stature, it's possible to get more time with the CEOs and to get, to get more out of it. Dougal, when was, when was that turning point f- for you in terms of not just being a, an add-on to a, a larger interview, but actually being able to command interviews dedicated for CEO secrets? Was there a particular time along the seven-year journey where that started to be the case? 
So I started it in 2015. I did it for about a year and a half, spending a lot of time on it. And then within the BBC is obviously a big place and you can do things called attachments where you basically go and work on a different program for a bit. It's like a little, uh, it's a bit like starting a new job, but still within the BBC. So I actually left for a bit and then my colleagues carried on doing CEO Secrets, kept it going while I was, because it was established by then for a while when I was gone. Then I came back to the business unit when they were in charge, but they made some of the changes that I think have been really good, like getting the smaller startup companies involved and bringing that in. But how long did it take? I don't know, maybe like, maybe 2018, maybe it was about three years into it that it just grew and grew. But now, I mean, I, I probably get about 20 pitches a day from people who are like suggesting to be on the series. A lot of them are sort of PR people, of course, because that's a massive industry, but also quite a lot of submissions from CEOs themselves yeah. of smaller companies. So it's become, and it really is a small operation making this series. It's not a big team. I'm a one-man band because I can research it, report it, film it, edit it, do all the production stuff. Um, it is done on a bit of a shoestring, really, but it does take up a lot of time. And, and increasingly now, because there's so many pitches, just dealing with all the pitches is the problem. And, of, and a lot of the time, people want they want an answer, but also they kind of want feedback on why why it's a no or whatever. And there's not, there's not time to do that, basically. And I imagine that's hard to balance as well, because you don't just want to be fielding the requests coming into you. You want to be looking for your own cases to profile as well. You have to sort of, I guess, do do both at the same time. My question really here is how do you know who to profile? What's your selection process? There are certain things. For example, it's a video series. So if the business is is quite a visual one, for example, we did Brompton Bikes and we were able to go to their factory so you could see how the folding bikes were made. A visual business is going to be of interest. We do think a bit about as well, of course, about representation. And as you know, for a lot, a lot of the stuff that comes to us, especially through PR type people, will tend to be uh, male bosses, middle aged white male bosses. You know, female entrepreneurs, we want them well represented. People from ethnic minority backgrounds, we want them well fairly represented. But I, I look at absolutely everything because any any person, any CEO, could have a, a cracking bit of advice that we haven't had before in the series. A lot of it goes on gut feeling, to be honest, that I just I want to be intrigued and surprised. And I want and I'm thinking as well what the headline could be, what's going to because if I can't get the audience interested to click on it, then, you know, the, the story isn't really going to work. Do you try to feel that out ahead of time? Because I feel that like one of the things you want to avoid with any kind of series is the same generic, same advice coming into you. So do you try to understand what are, what is the potential advice coming in beforehand before you set this up? Yeah, well, two things there. One, when people pitch, if they're clever, I suppose, they'll say, this, this is, I've already spoken to this person and this is the kind of advice they could offer. And that gives a feel of if this person could be really interesting. But what I've found over time as well is that, and this is one of the reasons why I need longer time to have a, an interview first with the CEO before we film the video, because people at the beginning will often say things like, you know, follow your passion. It's all about the team. You need to recruit people who are better than you. There is similar advice that comes up again and again, and that's not to discount that advice. It comes up again and again, actually, I think probably because it all is fundamentally true and very useful, but the series isn't going to last very long if it's just different people repeating the same advice. So a lot of the time, if people say that at the beginning, then that's why I'm delving in, having a much longer chat, and I'm trying to tease out stories from their career. Or I'll say something like, is there a light bulb moment where you realize something fundamental about business, a business lesson? that you can crystallize in a little story or an anecdote or a memory that stayed with you. So I'm trying to personalize it and make it a, a unique piece of insight. But yeah, we have to get beyond 
now the kind of the stuff that comes up again and again from people, even though it is genuine. And, and also you will get some people who are in corporate kind of advert mode and they'll be like, oh yeah, you must have the best product. That's not advice. That's not going to be useful to anyone. And I'm never, I'm never going to let allow that to be the secret. So one way to select your profiles amongst the masses is to think about how useful your audience will find the content. The BBC World Service started using the concept of user needs back in 2018, led by then Digital Development Manager Dmitry Shishkin. It helps journalists to understand what the audience needs from your content. There are six main needs, but the one that we will hear about which speaks to this series is Inspire Me. CEO series speaks to a very specific demographic, and those people are looking for inspiration to apply within their day jobs and career paths. I think there's a core audience of business people who kind of always find it interesting to get a different perspective from different types of business sectors. A lot of those people follow it on Twitter or on the BBC News app. You can follow CEO Secrets as a tag that you follow, so it always comes up in your feed. So I think there is a dedicated audience of business-minded, entrepreneurial people, which is actually is a growing demographic because so many people now have side hustles and you know it's become easier and easier to set up a business. So those people are kind of always interested in it. And they've got quite a specific user need, which is quite business focused. My job, well, my goal always is not just to get on the business index of the website where it's guaranteed to go and not just, and by the way, it goes on TV as well. It goes on BBC World and BBC News Channel on a show called World Business Report. So it's kind of as a guaranteed slot there where it's reaching a business audience. But I want it to go further than that. I want each one to get on the BBC front page and the BBC homepage the ones that will do that can't just be like technical business advice. It has to be more general than that. So it almost becomes like good life advice or just a very compelling personal story. For example, like the one you mentioned with Sarah Willingham, um, who, who used to be on Dragon's Den. She runs Nightcap now. Her story was about a personal moment where she was misjudged for being a, a tea lady at a, with a lawyer at a kind of acquisitions meeting because being a young woman in her 20s, the lawyer thought she couldn't, you know be one of the people he was dealing with she was a tea woman and she had to deal with that situation and how she then presented herself so that's a story of kind of sexism in the workplace and anybody can relate to that that's not just a business story that has a wider resonance those are the ones i'll always gravitate to and and that's more likely to get on the front page or the home page or also just to be shared as well on social media i want them to resonate as widely as possible that's is that a user need i don't know well relevance you know personal connection and also an empowering example of what to do if you're in that situation as well i mean she spoke very eloquently in that moment how she you know obliged that request and then sat down and then just looked them straight in the eyes and watched the color drain from their face um anyone in that you know similar situation could tread her path and do what she did because she's proved to be a successful businesswoman i guess that might be one you know user need i've forgotten what dimitri's all his different needs were but i'm sure that does plug into some of them but the other thing I think is that with the core mission of BBC that we know is about, you know, educate, inform, entertain. But I would definitely add to that list in the 21st century social media age, inspire. You should, we should try to inspire people as well. And def, I think CO Secrets definitely inspires people who are entrepreneurial or, or even just ambitious at work and want to kind of get ahead with, with stories of people who've done it and have something to share. Inspire Me is one of the uh, six user needs. You'll be pleased to know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually, that does ring a bell, yeah. So I, I definitely think we tap into that one. Uh, and it also makes sense. You're speaking about the interest group around business professionals. It explains why now it seems like you're 
veering onto LinkedIn as a platform a bit more. I think I'm right in saying it's the only sort of appointment to view regular thing we always put on LinkedIn. So it goes up every Wednesday and it's, uh, you know, usually on LinkedIn we're posting articles, but this is actually uploaded as a native video. It's doing very well there. And yeah, we forget how big LinkedIn is. BBC News has 8.2 million, I think, followers on LinkedIn now. So we can reach a huge number of people there. And also it's a really good place to have informed, intelligent debate, which, you know, there's not too many trolls and kind of nasties on it compared to some other platforms. But in, in general, by the way, I love reading the comments. This is the best thing about social media and doing formats for social media. You actually get to hear what the audience think of what you've done. Um, because, you know, when something goes out on TV, it's going out into the ether and you've got no idea what people think about when it, when they sit on their sofas unless they tweet about it. But when it goes out on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, it's really fascinating to see what people's responses to it were. And often, if you keep an eye on those responses, that might inform a lot of things like, oh, everybody's in the headline. I talked about this. But if you look how people have reacted to this video, they were actually very interested in something else you said. So you can go back and change the headline and say that's actually what is connecting with people. Or sometimes you'll see something in the comments that might lead to your next story because they'll say, well, people, the audience is obviously really interested in this issue or, or this person has raised a specific point about, I don't know, say employment law or mentions an anecdote that happened to them. You might then get in touch with them on social media. Mm. One thing we've neglected to talk about really is the fact that this is a, a mobile journalism series, really, that you do with your smartphone. I'm wondering when you sit down with someone as high profile as like Tej Lalvani, for example, when you get your mobile out to start shooting, are they surprised and or are they quite happy to oblige or how does that generally go down? This is the funny thing because a lot, yeah, some people have said to me, aren't these, especially like the big name CEOs, are they not kind of disappointed when they think they're getting this big BBC interview and then I turn up like some kind of vlogger with their phone and it's like, what, you know? The honest answer to that is, I'm talk about the big CEOs now. Nobody of the, you know, 200 plus people have done None of them have ever been disappointed because people just think, yeah, phones are amazing. I'm not sort of surprised you can do that. Second thing is they're very curious people. And a lot of them will say afterwards, like, that's really cool how you did it on the phone. Can I take a picture of that? I want to show it to people on my team because we might want to do our own filming. They're automatically thinking, how can this new thing I found out about help my business? And um, the one time that anybody has ever been disappointed was... I went to do a CO Secrets with the boss of a very big multinational food company. And um, the PR who'd set up the interview had obviously sold it to them as this really big set piece BBC interview. And I think she was expecting a kind of Hollywood style setup, like two cameras, lots of lights and a big crew of 12 people or something. And then, yeah, it's me in my, you know, um, in my jeans turning up or whatever. Actually, I wasn't in jeans, but anyway, I turned up on my phone and I could, tell she was disappointed and she I think she said made some sort of sarcastic comment uh but the boss the boss himself was just like no yeah yeah this is this is how we do it but um the thing people don't usually get is they think oh yeah you can film on your phone i get the phone is good and that's because this is a social media series and it will go on facebook and the website yeah yeah but what they can't get their head around is that the phone has been good enough to shoot for television since you know i still use my iphone 6 so since about 2015 um the iPhone 6 can film in 4K. That's more resolution than you need to get it on BBC Breakfast or, you know, on a BBC One. But people still have TV as this kind of exalted status in their head and they don't believe that a phone can film for television. But the technology in the phones, the kind of research and the money that's gone into it, the, the quality of the cameras, 
it really kind of leapfrogged the average domestic television a long time ago. That's very interesting. Um, a quick rundown of your Mojo setup, if you would, uh, Dougal. What do you use to put, put the series together? At the moment, I have an iPhone 12. And um, I mentioned the iPhone 6 because the, the thing with the phone is you can't replace the battery. So what you do is you keep an old phone as your backup. But quite often, I even prefer to use the iPhone 6 because it's just a very, remains a very good phone. Um, I use an app called Filmic Pro at the moment, but we also have our own BBC one that I sometimes use. I keep the rig very, very simple. So these days, I don't even use a tripod anymore. I pretty much do it handheld. I have a little plastic rig that I use to hold the phone. The phone is actually really good at dealing with light. Um, and also, I want the filming to be as kind of natural as possible. I don't want it to be kind of too superbly lit like an unrealistic photo shoot. I do have a light I can use on my rig, but most of the time I'm just filming without that. And basically, if I can see it with my own eyes in, in the room, then it's probably going to be fine. The main thing with mobile phone filming is the sound. So basically, the camera is amazing. The picture is normally very good. It's quite easy to film. It's like sort of driving automatic rather than manual uh, because things don't really get out of focus very easily. But the sound is obviously designed for you to make a phone call. So it's designed for when your mouth is very close to the phone. So what you do have to invest in in terms of kit is something for the microphone. So I have an adapter that's probably about 100 quid, plugs into my Apple Lightning port, and then I have a good broadcast mic, um, which I use. Or sometimes you can buy clip mics as well, which are cheaper, only about 50 quid, which would plug directly into your phone. You need to have that separate sound input rather than relying on the one that comes with the phone to get decent sound. But when, once you've got that, got the good sound, the picture is quite easy to master and then you're up and running and you can do stuff that's good enough to go on TV quite easily. The thing I like about it is two things. One, even a CEO who's very heavily media trained and is quite confident in front of the camera, even there, I think a bit more relaxed when it's just me filming with the phone as opposed to a big camera, a sound person hovering around, a producer, several people like you're being, I don't know, like you're at the dentist or something. I think it's much more informal when it's just me with my phone which is what you want yeah but also i'm also dealing a lot of the time with the ceos of startups who, who haven't they've maybe never done a, an interview before certainly never a bbc interview and a lot of them tell me afterwards oh my god i was so nervous about this they're really relieved when the interview's finished but they, it does help them the fact that i've done it with a mobile phone an object they have themselves that they filmed their mates down the pub with the, with the phone it definitely relaxes them and that means you get a better contribution because they can open up a bit more and be more relaxed. What's next for CEO Secrets? So the, the weird thing about it is, for the last 18 months, I've been working on turning it into a book. It's coming out as a BBC book, but with uh, Bloomsbury as the publisher in the UK on uh, November 10th, and it comes out in America in January. But And the funny thing about it is, this is a digital series, but... For a lot of people, it's, it's the fact it's being turned into this old, most old-fashioned thing of all time, a paper book that people see as a big success. They go, oh, wow, that's, it's become a book. Wow, wow, wow. And that's another example of in our minds, we have this idea that the book is a sign of validation and achievement, even when it's like a digital series. It's the same with like you know vloggers on YouTube. They can have like 10 million followers, but it's when they appear on TV, they think, oh, now I've made it because... I'm on, t I'm on old-fashioned TV, which has been around for decades, or if, they, or if they write a book. So in terms of success, we still measure that in terms of the oldest of media. The good thing about it was, one, that wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't a series. 
And as a journalist, I definitely urge people to think um, in terms of doing a series rather than just individual stories. I like to do features where you're basically going away and saying, I've found this thing that I think is interesting and you should find it interesting too. But if you're a features journalist, you kind of go from one story to the next and they all seem like little islands quite separate. But what I found that by doing a series is that there's lots of advantages. One, the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts because you're kind of building on something each time. You're building yourself an amazing contacts book because now you know, I've covered every aspect of business, whether it's advertising, recruitment, and you kind of keep in touch with a lot of these people. So you've, you've got this amazing contacts book from everyone you've had on the series before. And also in terms of getting promotion at the various news organizations where you work, if you've created a series, you build up this expectation that, oh yeah, it's a Wednesday, CEO Secrets comes out on a Wednesday, da, da, da. You're, you're more likely to get a good slot and promotion if you've created something that's an ongoing proposition. Um, and also the fact I've been able to turn this into a book can only happen because it's a series that's built up some reputation and there's all this material there. And the last thing to say about it was that when I did these interviews, a lot of the time I would be speaking to someone for say half an hour, they had really great insights to share and pass on. But I'm making a video which is constrained with the fact that it has to be about 90 seconds. So a lot of the time I had really tough choices where I thought, which bit of advice or which story will I use from this person? Uh, and I, I knew that I'd left all this really great material just on the cutting room floor or on the hard drive is the modern equivalent. But um, and I just realized over time, well, this is gold miner stuff. And the nature of news is that you move on very quickly and you kind of forget about it. But that was all I couldn't forget about some of the amazing things these people had said. I thought that's a shame that it's just kind of wasted. So part of the good thing about a book is that you can go back and actually try and be efficient and do something of that great content. Great. I, I relate to that so much because you do have, have to leave so much on the hard drive, don't you? Um, did you actually think CEO Secrets would be where it is now, seven years later? Did you think it would last this long? No, not at all. It, to be honest, it was quite a practical thing. It was like, I need some ideas for this job interview. I really want to get the job. And I was obviously, and I was genuine, I was committed to doing it. And we, I did start making it within a week of, of getting the job. But I, didn't, I thought maybe it would last as like a mini series or something. Yeah. But there became quite a big appetite for it. And weirdly, actually, even though it was designed as a digital first video series, a big thing that's kept it going is that TV wanted it. Um, and I think on television, it stood out. It looked a bit different because it wasn't a traditional news package. Mm. It was someone looking straight into the camera and someone giving advice so in the context of a business program running order. It just felt a bit different. And they quite liked that. It's a bit like launching a business, actually. So doing I'm not that an entrepreneurial a person, except that in creating CEO Secrets, it has been like doing a startup journey having an idea, piloting it, getting stakeholders involved, tirelessly pushing it and trying to get other people interested and being passionate about it. All, all the things I've learned from the people, um, you know, doing the series, actually, I've internalized a lot of that advice and I have to use it myself in order to grow the series. So I didn't think it would keep on going, but it, it's got it's kept going. And also I've had to keep doing my other job at the side. It's not my full time thing. So but it's been a bonus that it's still going and, and hopefully will continue to grow as well. So stakeholders really are the secret to longevity then as a series. Yeah. And also, and they have, you have to keep evolving who those stakeholders are because the news environment around you is constantly changing. Dougal, this has been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Enjoyed it. Thank you. So what does it take to keep a new series running? Here's what I've taken from today. A simple premise with a specific design. In this case, one piece of advice from a top CEO in an eyes down the lens style social video. That can be replicated ad nauseum. 
So how do you keep it fresh and interesting? You might only have 90 seconds to make an impression, so avoid the buzzwords and business cliches. Instead, seek out anecdotes which speak to specific struggles or challenges. But the one cliche we've heard that is worth taking to heart is this. Listen to your team and take their ideas on board. But what did you learn today? DM or tweet me at jpdjournalism or my team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News. Clips from today's show were sourced from BBC News under fair dealing for reporting on news events. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover in the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our podcast episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.